My name is uh, Pastor Brad Stahl, one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church. I'm going to invite you, if you have these notes, to take those out. Uh, If you have a Bible, pull that out as well. We're going to be jumping around from different texts in here, but we are in the uh, third message of a series called Worldviews, where we've kind of been putting a framework uh, onto our, our worldview, the way we view the world around us. Uh, the way we actually view reality, uh, try and make sense of, of life and the people and the world that um, we live in. Uh, and we all have these worldviews, whether you realize it or not. Some are very obvious, some are, are not so obvious. Um, and what we've come to learn, I think, in this series is that many of us have probably been influenced more by a worldly worldview, by a cultural worldview than perhaps God's Word. And so that's what we're wanting to get back to. I'm wanting to point back to God's Word, say, look what this says about specific issues in our day. I mean, you just look at different people who will claim different um, uh, beliefs. A, a secular humanist would say that the world around them, it's just the material possessions. There's no, there's no invisible world. There's no spiritual world around. That would be their worldview. You look at uh, a, a Buddhist A Buddhist would say that you can free yourself from suffering and self-purification. Again, that's a worldview that they have that they kind of put into place and and go through the world with that set of beliefs in their lives. A two-year-old believes they are the center of the universe, right? Right? What's a two-year-old's favorite word? Mine. Hey, you got two-year-olds over here, don't you? Yeah. Mine, me, knows another good one that they learn uh, a lot and they learn that well. Uh, but, but they get that worldview and, and, and then the, the world kind of around them, that's why we want to shape those little minds. and We want to grow them to have it be a biblical worldview which says your primary reason for existence is not by accident. Your primary reason is to love God and to serve God. That, that's what the Bible talks about. That's why we are here. We're here to love God, and we serve God by loving others and a multitude of different things that we do. But if you just want to boil it down to we, we love God and we serve God. Now, contrast that what you hear out in the culture. A culture that is about take, 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 and spend, 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 get, 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 look out for number one, me, myself, and I, the great trinity, uh, eat, sleep, be merry. I mean, those are all the messages that we hear from the world that God's not against pleasure, but we're not designed just for uh, our own pleasure. Our, Our greatest pleasure comes from doing what God calls us to do. And so last week, we looked at one of those major foundational pillars that is in place for your worldview. Whether you realize it or not, you have probably come to a place of, 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 of understanding and belief. Here's the question we talked about last week. Where do I come from? And we discussed that. Am I here just by accident? Or am I creation of God? Am I here just an accident, a, a, a dental evolution um, without much purpose in this world? That's, that's one belief. And many people in our society believe that today. Or... Do I believe, as a biblical worldview says, and you can fill this in as I talk about this right now, that I was created, or that God created everything, that I was created by God because He custom-designed each and every one of us, and that God chose me, or He chose all of us, to love us. 
See, that is not what you hear on the common street corner anymore. Maybe decades ago you did. But today it is much more of a, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the purpose of life is. Yeah, I came from an accident, the goo to the zoo to you type of philosophy out of just, just amoebas and, and growing up into apes and then human beings. That, that's what um, evolutionists teach. And they wouldn't believe that God created everything. He custom designed each of us and he chose us to love us. I mean, when you answer that question, where did we come from? You, you will get many different viewpoints, and how you choose to answer that question will take you on a widely divergent path. Widely. Because your worldview or your beliefs will result in the actions that you take throughout life. And remember what I said uh, a few weeks ago. I said, today in our culture, the Barna Group um, found that only 4%, 4 out of 100 believe in a biblical worldview. Four out of a hundred. And even worse than that, in the church, in, in people who would say, I am a born-again believer, only one in ten, nine percent, follow a biblical worldview. I would hope and I would pray that that number is much greater and much higher here at First Baptist Church because we value God's Word and what God's Word says, and we teach from God's Word, and when we leave here, I hope you live by what has been taught and shared because it is in God's Word. So if you are a Christian, if you are a Jesus follower, my prayer is that your worldview is a biblical worldview which changes everything about the decisions you make in your way of living. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. What are the implications of a biblical worldview? All right, you ready? Get out a piece of paper or a pencil, uh, a pen, uh, whatever it may be. Write these down. Take notes if you could. Every life, here's the first implication. Every life has sanctity. Every life has sanctity. What, what, what does that mean? The word sanctify, uh, or sanctity means to sanctify, which means to set apart, to make special. And that's why we believe every human life has that kind of sanctity. Every human life. In fact, look what the verse says in Genesis 127. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Male and female, he created them. All right, so what does this mean? God created man in his own image. Let me kind of walk you through this. This means that we are able to relate to God in ways that the stars and the planets, in the ways that the trees and the animals, in the way that other nature cannot relate to God. God did something special in humans. He breathed life into you. He breathed life and he created a soul inside of you that as humans, we are created in the image of God and we are able to have a relationship with God. Now for some of you, that is revolutionary because you have not heard that before. But that's what we teach here because that's what the Bible teaches here. And if that doesn't make a difference in your life, you got to question, okay, do I really believe that? And let me take it a step further, because we see the verse up here where it says, in the image of God, he created him. Then it says, male and female, he created them. Let me, let me show you how this works out here. That verse, male and female, he created them. 
Do you remember what God said on the sixth day after he had created everything and then on that sixth day created humans? Do you remember what he said about that? It, more than just even good. Let me, let me show you the verse, and would you read it with me? Genesis 1.31, read it with me. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God said, mm, good, good stuff. Good stuff I have made here. Now, what that tells me, follow this, watch how our culture has changed on this one. What that tells me is that God made some of you male, God made some of you female, and God did not get those two mixed up. Okay? Okay? As our culture now is coming out and saying, wait, 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 no, no, no. I'm in a, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a woman, but I'm trapped in a man's body. And so if you just do a cut, cut here and a snip, snip there, now I can be a woman and I can just live how I want to live. That's really how we've come in 2016. We say, oh, we can just kind of, you know, take care of that. Or maybe I'm a man, I'm trapped in a woman's body, and so I should be a, 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 a man, or I should be a woman. You, you. God did not make a mistake in this, folks, okay? He made you male, he made you female, and when you start changing that, you're starting to play God. You're starting to say, God, you, did, you, you didn't do this right, okay? Now watch how this worldview comes into play. Again, if you believe that you are an accident, that you just kind of evolved, then I guess you can go out and say, well, you know what, it kind of got mixed up because I have these, all these women emotions and I'm a man, so I should really be a woman, so I need to change myself. Yeah, if that's your worldview, I guess you can do that. But if you're a Christ follower, if you follow God's word, what it says is that, that God created you. And he custom designed you. And he made you to love you. And when he created you, he said it was not only good, but it was what? It was very good. It was very good. It goes back to, do you believe God's truths? Or do you believe your feelings? Oh man, that gets scary when you start believing your feelings. Then you start saying, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body. You know what? I have too. But then I was born, and I came out of that body, and now here I am. All right? Okay? Right? That's what our speaker shared a couple of weeks ago. I agree with him. That was the only time I felt trapped in a woman's body, but I got out of there, and I'm alive, and so here I am. Okay? Okay? So, so, so just because you feel something doesn't mean it's automatically right. That's postmodernism. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. This sense that if I feel it, it must be right and I'm going to do it. No, no, no. You, you need to base it upon, okay, this is God's truth. And what God's truth says, I need to follow that instead of just following my emotions around wherever I want to go. And this whole transgender issue, this is why I'm hitting on this. Um, it is huge within our schools, those of you who are younger or have children or grandchildren who are younger in age, um, you need to be very careful of this. In fact, let me just share with you what our First Baptist Christian School teaches. We have a school here on the grounds, K through, or preschool actually, all the way up through 8th grade. Uh, we formed a, a statement that talks about what we believe. So Susan, go ahead and put that up there. Here's what it says. It says, we believe that God wonderfully and immutably creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image of nature and of God. 
We believe that rejecting one's biological gender is to reject the work of the Creator. You see how, you see how that comes into play? Right? When you say, oh, no, I'm not. I want to be this now. You're saying, God, what you did was wrong. What you did was an accident. Or I, want to, I think I can do it better than you, and so let me just kind of do a switch. And, and, and where this is even coming to play, and this is why I'm, I'm warning you, if you have children or grandchildren, or maybe there's some young children even in here today who go to the public schools, uh, Focus on the Family has done a publication where they talked about, and let me just share some of these things, an adult from a transgender advocacy group went into a school and read a book to, uh, called My Princess Boy, which is about a boy who likes to wear dresses, and was allowed by the administration to read it to a kindergarten class. There's an agenda behind that. Some of you might say, well, you know, it's just a little dress or something. Oh, no, no, no. There is an agenda behind that. Now there's schools that have to send out notices that say, well, so-and-so was a boy when he left for summer vacation, but he or she is going to come back as a girl now, and so that's the way we're going to identify her. And, and we're getting these mixed messages, and little kids are forming their worldviews by some of these things. Um, in fact, there were parents um, of students in a pre-K through fourth grade school that discovered plans that a gender roles and diversity materials were going to come into their school. Uh, teachers were inviting students to draw pictures of their favorite TV or storybook characters and change them up in their clothing. They suggested, let Spider-Man wear a magic tiara upon his head. I, I mean, those, as adults, maybe we can sort through that, but as kids now getting that message, it goes totally against what God says. I made you male, I made you female, and I said it was good. We need to watch what the, what the culture influences on us and the biblical view and how God truly says it. That, so that's just one issue that's that kind of hit in the fan recently, very recently in this last couple of years. Let me, let me share with you, though, another implication of this idea that every life has sanctity. Look at this verse out of Jeremiah 1, 5. It says, and this is God speaking to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart. I knew you even before as, as I was making you and creating you. That is why historically... Christians don't believe in abortion. It's just one of the verses that supports that because that tiny little embryo is formed by God. That tiny embryo has sanctity of life. That's why our church very much supports the Pregnancy Help Center. I've served on the board of directors. Nikki Lowry is executive director there. She served on our staff for 10 years. Uh, Pastor Scott Connor is the chairman of the board there at the Pregnancy Help Center because we believe that our culture has taken us one way, but we have to stand up for God's word and say, no, Every life has sanctity. That's what we follow. Now, contrast that, this thought, every life has sanctity, with what the world has said, um, and maybe it's an atheist, maybe it's a naturalist, who just kind of says, oops, my sperm swam up your tubes, began forming some little, bo uh, little ball of, of, of molecules in there, and I'm not ready for what that means, and so I'm just going to terminate this pregnancy and be done with it. That's what our world now says. Go ahead, just terminate it. It's fine. It, it doesn't really matter. Whereas the biblical worldview says, no, God made you. God created you. He specially designed everyone 
even in the womb. I mean, watch where this has gone, the implications of this. Even in higher learning, Peter Singer is the professor of bioethics at Princeton University. Now, I say Princeton. Many of you recognize Ivy League, East Coast. Princeton University was founded upon biblical Christian teachings. I, I, I shudder to think at how far away it has come now. Listen to this example. Um, Peter Singer, bioethics professor at Princeton, comes right out and says, parents should be able to kill their disabled babies on the grounds that they are non-persons. He says, and I quote, they are replaceable like chickens or other livestock just because they're disabled. A a true biblical worldview that I hope we have here based on Scripture, a true biblical worldview would soundly reject that and say, no, every human Every human has sanctity. Every human is made in the image of God. That's what we believe. In fact, one of our ten values that we have here at First Baptist is this. Go ahead and put that up there. It says, we value all people. All people. We value people of every nationality, at every stage of life, from conception to natural death, seeking to show the love of Christ in every way possible. That's what we say about people value them because God has breathed into them. It's why, and you know what, I'm going to step on the Christian's toes, I'll step on the church's toes. If anybody has had a worldview and um, you've heard of um, uh, Christians who bomb abortion clinics, right? That doesn't play out with a Christian worldview because what you're saying is I'm going to stop your killing by killing some people. We can't go that way. That's not the the proper step to take. In fact, let me get into, if I could, for just a moment here, too, with the whole ISIS thing that has really cropped up in this last decade. We've seen it since 9-11. We've seen um, the war on terrorism that we've tried to fight against. There there are terrorists, um, terrorist bombings, and and there will not be less of them. There will be more and more and more, and they will get closer and closer and closer to home, unfortunately. Let me give you the idea behind why this is taking place the way that it is. Let me remind you of this. This is, this is a worldview of someone who is a radical Muslim. Okay? ISIS and other radical Islamists are convinced that the West has been attacking Islam since the Crusades. So since the 1100s and since the 1200s that we've been attacking um, Islam. And so the Quran, that's their holy book comparable to our Bible, the Quran requires Muslims to defend Islam. Therefore, they are attacking Western targets to defend their beliefs and their, their Islam. Now watch how this plays out. Civilians are now on the front lines of that because we support our government by paying taxes and by serving in the military. And so in their minds, that has allowed them to bomb anybody who's a part of a country because their government that stands against um, Islam because their government believes um, things that are contrary to that. And the West, they would say, even Western Europe and us being in the West as well, they say now can be killed because we're defending Islam. So to a radicalized Muslim, every terrorist bombing advances their cause advances Islam. 
which is so far away, again, from a biblical, biblical worldview. But it's a different set of worldviews. We know biblically that it says in John chapter 8 that Satan is the murderer from the very beginning. And that's what's going on there. People are murdering, people are killing um, to cause their uh, agenda, their worldview to come forth because it is a totally different worldview. The scripture says to love, to care, to give sanctity of life, to, to love each person who's designed by God. And so a second major implication, not only that every life has sanctity, but a second one would be on your outline that your identity also has dignity. My identity has dignity. What says 1 Peter chapter 2? Show proper respect. To who? Everyone. Everyone should be given proper respect. In fact, I love how it says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This has kind of been a theme verse for us in this series. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We no longer see them as we have always seen them. We no longer see them with just our worldly mindset and through our own worldly view, but now we see them through a biblical worldview. And so here's my challenge, First Baptist. We need to see people as God sees them. That's where it comes to. To see people as God sees them. And what that means is believers and non-believers we see as God sees them. Uh, people you agree with and people that you don't agree with. Male or female. Republicans or Democrats. Uh-oh, now we're in trouble, right? We start mixing that all that in. But, but right, right? We need to see them as God sees them, whatever side we are on. Atheist or believer, gay or straight, drunkard or teetotaler, we see them as God sees them. But you say, well, you know, some of those people, they chose that lifestyle. You know, they chose that undignified life. Um, is that supporting them if, if, if I don't stand up and disagree with them? Let me say it this way. You can respect someone without agreeing with them. Is that fair enough to say? You can respect someone without having to agree with them. Why? Because God may still be working on them. In fact, I know God is working on them because he's working on all of us. We're all works in progress. None of us have it all figured out, do we? We don't. We don't, even if we think we are just so by the word, nope, we have sin in our lives, and we all do, nobody has it all figured out. God's working in all of us. And in fact, look at what God can do. Verse 17 of that verse, right after 16, goes on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is now here. But that saying is that anyone, anyone can come to Christ and you don't have the right, I don't have the right to say someone's too far away. God can still be working on them. Even as we enter into this whole political season, as it culminates in November with the president, uh, a newly elected president, I know that many Christians are saying, well, I don't agree with either candidate, so I'm just staying away. No, don't, don't, don't. Pray 
honor our candidates. You can respect someone without agreeing with them, like I just said. A biblical worldview, though, says that we need to honor them. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for our governing authorities. Uh, We need to pray for our mayor. Many of us have seen what's been in the newspapers over the last month or two months. Have you taken that to a place of prayer instead of just scoffing at it and saying, ha, look at the state of of our city? No, we need to be praying for Mayor Silva. Just as we need to be praying for each of our uh, city councilmen. We have Michael Blauer, who's one of our city councilmen. He's actually here right now. Where's Michael? Where's Michael? Michael's right up there. He was elected or or appointed uh, a few months ago to be on the city council. I'm glad he is on that city council. We need godly people on that city council. He's actually running for re-election in November. I'm glad that he said I will continue to do that. Because if you've been down there to some of those city council meetings, they can be a little bit of a circus at times in there. It really can, but to have someone with godly values to say, I am uh, trying to push through, not my agenda, but how God would want us to do it. That's how he directs and guides. We need more of us to be those kind of people to step up and do that. And so, uh, again, Romans uh, 13 shows that part of honoring, um, at least for us in America, would be that we should research the candidates. We should research the issues and make voting a priority. Vote your values. Vote a biblical worldview. Vote how God would direct you in that. Don't just stay away. Don't just say, ah, country's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not going to be part of it. No. Get in. Cause some change for the good. That, I believe, is a part of a biblical worldview. Let me say what else is. And this is the third point that's on your outline. Let me get a little bit more kind of intimate or personal here now. Whatever you are going through, if you have a biblical worldview, understand your problems have possibility. And that is good news. Your problems, my problems have possibility. In the midst of your junk, in the midst of my junk, look at what God says out of Romans 8.28. Again, solid biblical verse here that if you don't know this verse, memorize this verse. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, that's not saying all things that happen to you are good. What it is saying is, if you love God, he is going to take what happens to you and work it out for good. Now, how much more hope does that give you? I mean, I can see where the suicide rate just skyrockets with people who have no hope, who just kind of feel like, well, this life is an accident. Again, that's a worldview. I'm just an accident here. I'm just kind of meandering through life. And when bad things happen, I feel horrible, so I'm just going to give up. As opposed to saying, no, we have a God who loves us, who cares about us, who, who, who desires to know us better, and we can know him better, and we can be a blessing to him as he blesses us, that that God is working out whatever I'm going through. He's, he's making me new. He's creating something in my life, even when I'm going through junk. You know what that's saying? It's saying there is meaning in your mess right now, whatever that might be. God can and will work through it. He can. Hey, let me give you just a silly little analogy, but maybe it'll click for some of us. Um, You remember the show MacGyver on television? Remember that show? 
right? What was it, 80s? Was that, was that in the 80s? It's probably on reruns now, right? I think they had a movie about it even a couple of years ago. I think it bombed at the, at the box office. So MacGyver was one of these guys who would go through life, and he would get you know, caught up in different situations, and he would always seem to be next to something that had these different supplies, like, like, like he had lipstick balm, um, baby powder, and carrot juice, and he makes a bomb out of it, right? That, 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 that's MacGyver, right? He would just get out of the situations and, 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 and doing those little things and taking the stuff that happened. You don't think God is so much more crafty than MacGyver. If MacGyver can get out of junk, you don't think God uses his resources to allow you to step through some things and to take what's going on in your life and, and use it for his purpose and his good? Now, sometimes we, you know, kind of flub up the situation and we create more havoc. That, that, God's not saying, just go ahead and do all that and then I'll work you out of it. That's, not, that's what he's saying. God helps those who help themselves. Not biblical, but I believe that makes common sense. Step in line with him. Realize, okay, some of the things that happened to us, God did not bring about, but he allows them to happen to us. Some of the things we've done to ourselves, okay, wherever we are, wherever we found ourselves, realize, with a Christian worldview, you can say God's working something out. My problems have possibility. And I'm working through it. God's working with me. Last point. Last implication. Having a biblical worldview is my future is now eternity. My future is eternity. Psalm 23, 6 says like this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Forever. My future is eternity. Here's the reality of it. We all are eternal. Every one of you in here is eternal. We just get to choose where we spend eternity. You get to choose if you spend that in heaven or in hell. That's your choice. God has given us that privilege of choosing where we spend eternity. And my question is, for those of us who know that we have Christ in our lives, who have prayed to receive him, do we, do we view life with that reality? Do we view life through that lens of saying, okay, here's my worldview. I, 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 or do you just slip into postmodernity? Be a postmodern thinker and say, ah, oh, whatever happens, happens. Um, it doesn't really matter what role we play. Everyone can be right. All paths lead to the same God. That's a huge thought out there today. All paths, they'll all get there. Just, just be sincere. And No. We, we, we fight against that kind of complacency. We fight against that teaching and say we have a choice. We have a decision. And we don't do it obstinately. We don't do it as though we're pushing something in someone's face. We do it, though, because we know we've been loved and God loves everyone. And we do it with the understanding that every life has dignity. That God is redeeming every person. And God has made each of us to love us. Again, that's a worldview. That's a biblical worldview that we operate from. And if for some reason, I know I'm talking to some people here today. You've gotten that mixed around. Or you've allowed some of the cultural worldview to seep into your Christian faith, 
reject that and say, God, I need to be in your word more. It's why we're having the conference on the 17th, to understand the foundations of a biblical worldview as we see it in the Old Testament. It's why we encourage you to get into God's word and read it on a regular basis. We're going to go through daily devotions and reading and all the things we're going to do in community right out of that Saturday so we can be and have our head and our nose in God's word. Man, when we follow God's word, he just life just turns out so much better. Not all the time, not maybe in the short distance, but long distance, yes. It turns out because God is involved and God is working. He's blessed. It's why we invite people to come to church. We don't do it to say, hey, my way is the right way and you need to be forced under my way. No, we do it just because we want to bless people. And we want to see them come to know the Lord as well. It's why we give. Think about this. When you give in the offering here, you are funding the biblical worldview that we want to have to go throughout our entire culture. You think about how many people have been tied in and deceived to funding an ISIS worldview and all that they're doing. The Christians, though, now uniting and saying, no, we want the cause, the gospel, the message to go forth. That's why we give. So it goes forth here in Stockton. It goes forth around the world as we fund missionaries and others as well. That's a biblical worldview, making a difference. Thank you for participating in that, giving, sacrificing to do so. You know, when Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, he, um, he knew his time was limited with his disciples. He knew he was not going to be on earth much longer. And so he called them up to an upper room, and he had 12 of them. One chose a different path. But with the rest of the 11, and the 12th that was chosen afterwards, he rocked the world. That, that worldview... The worldview of each of those disciples was just rocked. The night they got up with Jesus into an upper room, what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion, um, was a night they'll never forget. In fact, each of them remembered it so vividly, we have different accounts of it. And in Luke chapter 12, let me read what Jesus told his disciples. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles were with him. And he said, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knew he was going to the cross. What he also knew was that God was going to make something out of that mess. He allowed himself to be led to the cross, knowing that God was going to provide a way for you and for me by him going to do that. Not necessarily what he wanted to do, not his will, but he said, not my will, but yours. And he knew God was going to work in the midst of that. He said, for I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And so he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is now poured out for you. It's the new covenant of my blood. And what Jesus is establishing here is a new way. We don't relate to God no, any longer on rules and rituals and law-based but now we operate with God on the basis of grace. A new way of looking at it. 
A way that says, God, we can enter into a relationship with you because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I know there are hundreds and hundreds of you across this auditorium who have made that decision. But I also know there are some in here today who have not made that decision. And you're still living a cultural worldview. You're still living in a different way. You have not come to the place of saying, wow, God did this for me. And now my entire life is built out of that love for me and built upon his grace. That's a different way of living. And so today, before we take our communion time, I'm just going to pray. And some of you might want to pray with me for the very first time to say, wow, God, you love me that much. You welcome me into your family. I accept that invitation now. Otherwise, this table here is not just for Baptists. It's not for Presbyterians, not for Catholics, not for anybody else. It's for people who are a part of the family of God. Those who have said yes to Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. So that's the only criteria. You come. I would suggest that as the elements are being passed, take some time to reflect. Take some time to pray and forgive maybe some people who you've been having some difficulties with. Confess that. Get that out. So as you come to this time of worship and remembering what Jesus did for us, you can come with a clean heart. You can come with a heart that says, God, I'm focusing on you. I want to live according to your word as well. So as the elements are passed, you can take the cup out. It should have juice and it should have a bread right underneath it. You'll have to actually have two cups in one. You can take that out and then together we'll take the elements. We'll share those together. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to share this time where we remember what you did for us, how your son, Jesus, came to this world to die for us. God, that changes everything. That we would have someone die, shed their blood, so that we might have and be in relationship with you. And God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters across this auditorium, literally hundreds of them who have said yes to that. And as we share this time together, God, it, it's not something we take for granted. It's something that we come before you now in a sense of worship and praise and realize the reality of all that that means. But Lord, I also know that there are brothers and sisters across this auditorium who have not yet made that decision. Their, their faith has not been born. Maybe they've come from a background where they've attended church a lot, but God, it's not about attendance of church. It's, a, it's about a faith decision in believing Jesus Christ as God's Son who came to this world to die for us. And today, you have not made that decision. There's no time like the present. It's a decision that says, God, I accept you today in faith. And in faith, I believe that you are God's son. Come to this world to die for me. I today place my sins into your hands. I ask you to forgive them. I am going to repent. I'm going to turn now and follow your ways. That's a totally different worldview now that you get to live by. And your beliefs now mean actions. It's turning from your ways, and it's following him. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we follow you, that everyone here who has said yes to Jesus, even today, if it's your first time, just say those words, yes to Jesus, that God sees your heart. He sees your intentions. And he says, now accept this as a reminder of what I am doing and will do until you come. God, until you come, we will continue to celebrate this time.
And so we do that now in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of awe, in a spirit of worship. We do this to remember what you did for us. So it's in your name we pray. As we receive the body and the blood, in your name we pray.